Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mom of the Hard Kid. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about scholarly studies about talking to our children, what we say, and whether or not it matters. So when you have a hard kid, you know that tricky things happen and discussions have to be (laughs) had. And I've said numerous times in the past that one of the things that I think has really helped us is the time and effort that was put in to walk my child verbally through a lot of her decisions. Point out the logic, point out the flaws, point out the future consequences, because those weren't things that she was getting to naturally. So it was something I always tried to do. Now, one of the things that I definitely do wrong, especially when things get hard, is sometimes my talk is not exactly kind. (laughs) So when you, I laugh, I shouldn't laugh. When you have a child who has reactive attachment disorder, you have to speak honestly because they can read fraudulence in you better than you can probably read it yourself. They are scanning your face. They are looking at every muscle movement. They are looking at every eye movement. They are seeing every part of you and they are questioning you because again, don't forget these kids are in fight or flight. They are trying to judge whether or not they can trust you at any moment, whether or not they are in danger. And one of the reasons that they consider lying a danger is because they have to say, I will only accept you if I know exactly what you're thinking, right? If I, if I can be there with you. So some of the times it has not been pretty. I have definitely said things to my child like, oh my gosh, why in the world will you never make a good choice? You know, I have definitely said things like that because I have definitely thought things like that. And I have always erred on the side of being honest. And I have not always erred on the side of being kind because sometimes that wasn't an honest place that I could offer. I know that sounds terrible, When you raise a child with severe reactive attachment disorder, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. So I have a couple of studies that I just want to talk about. The first one is called the monster study. Now, the reason I bring up the monster study, which sounds absolutely terrible, it was really just a stuttering study done in 1939 by a professor at the University of Iowa in Iowa City named Wendell Johnson. Now, Wendell Johnson was the professor, but he had a graduate student named Mary Tudor. Now, I'm not sure if Wendell Johnson was the one who set this all up and had Mary conduct this research, or if Mary as a graduate student said, here I have this research. But both our pathology people, speech pathology, and Wendell Johnson himself has a stutter, because this is a speech about stutter. And he became a speech pathologist because he hadn't had a speech pathologist, and he wanted to find the answers. So he goes into this study with this understanding and belief that this isn't a neurological issue, this is a societal issue. He thinks that if It is because of negativity and people being rude because a lot of stutterers get bullied. And then it was Wendell's belief, I believe, that he that because of this, then the stuttering never got better. So he wanted to see 
if stuttering would get better with positive talk. So Mary goes into this orphanage in Davenport, Iowa in 1939, and she gets 22 orphaned children between the ages of 5 and 15 and splits them into two groups. And in one group, she has the ones who speak really well. And in the other group, she has the ones who speak poorly. So unknown to anyone in the orphanage, though it is a perfect split down the middle. (laughs) And I'm sure they just didn't know. But in the group of good speakers, they have poor speakers, they have stutterers in that group. But they are instructed in that group of good speakers to tell the speakers that they speak well to say, oh, you speak really good. Oh, you speak really well. And give them positive praise. Because again, what they wanted to see is if that improved the stutterer's speech. But in the scary part of this that nobody likes is they have this other group of children, which include good speakers, and they are told in that group that they're not good speakers. And they tell them, oh, don't talk until you know what you're going to say. Oh, no, you actually are quite bad at this. And they, they give them negative feedback. So here comes Mary. and She turns in her paper to Professor Wendell Johnson at the end of her thesis. And it says inside there, And I'm going to quote this from a really excellent New York Times article that was written in 2003 by Gretchen Reynolds called The Stuttering Doctor's Monster Study. I'm going to quote this directly from there. It says, the experiment did, however, have an impact. In each case, the non-stuttering children of group IIA, which is the one that they had told were stutterers and told were poor speakers, they began to act like stutterers. All of the children, and this is a direct quote from the thesis of Mary Tudor, all of the children in this group showed overt behavioral changes, Mary Tudor wrote in her thesis, that were in the direction of the types of inhibited, sensitive, embarrassed reactions shown by many adult stutterers in reaction to their speech. There was a tendency for them to become less talkative. They also, during their sessions with her and in front of their researchers, shuffled their feet, whispered, snapped their fingers, gulped, gasped, and clapped their hands over their mouths. They looked like stutterers. They spoke just fine, or they spoke fine. So, What they found is when the child got negative feedback, they acted in a way that believed that negative feedback. So these children were not stutterers, but because they were told that they spoke poorly, they began to speak poorly. They began to be embarrassed about the way that they spoke and they began to have a really hard time. And some of these kids actually came back several years later with a lawsuit against the university and said that they had been they had been talkative wonderful children before the study and then they became embarrassed and ashamed and had a really hard time for the rest of their life speaking in public speaking to people it it had impacted them so severely that they carried around the shame and embarrassment for the rest of their lives 
When I think of the way that I parent, and I think of some of the things that I say, I have been really trying to focus on the positive. Now, there have been times, and I've said this before, where I couldn't find a positive thing to say. The most positive thing I could have said was, good for you, you only got in trouble six times today instead of 10. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't come up with it. But one of the things that I did not often enough, but that I encourage everybody and wish I did more of is I would speak optimistically and I would sit down and I would, I would have just lost it. And there we are sitting on the couch and we've just had this gigantic conversation and I've yelled and she's yelled and she's torn up stuff. And, and I'm sitting there and we're both kind of exhausted from this exchange. And I would just sit there and I would say, that's okay. We're going to get it. You know, we're going to get it. It's okay. We're going to get it. I know you're smart. I know we're going to get it. <laughs> and, and I encourage you, if you can find a place to speak positively, I know this sounds crazy to people who can't relate, but to be able to have a little bit of optimism when you look in, to be able to, to shift your child's mindset, because my biggest fear on multiple levels for you and for that child is that you get stuck in the pessimism of your situation. Because you can, it is so easy. When your child presents behaviors that are so huge, that even the village gets annoyed, (laughs) you know, even it's even too much for the village. When it's when it's that big, and your child gets stuck in the pessimism, and you get stuck in the pessimism, then not only are you not progressing, but that is a horrible feeling and place to be. And when you look back at studies like this, you can see that people can get stuck in this place for a really, really long time. So the next study that I want to bring up is the National Library of Medicine uh, with the National Center for Biotechnology Information if you look at the website, it's the ncbi.nlm.nih.gov. And it is an article called Talking to Children Matters. Early language experience strengths processing and builds vocabulary. So early language experience strengthens processing and builds vocabulary. So this here is a study that was done by Adriana Wilesliter and Anne Fernland, <laughs> Fernald, I, I'm the worst. I'm so sorry. And they did this study in, let me see what year it was. Oh, it was published in 2013 on September 10th. So if you're going to look for it, I hope this makes any sense to you at all. But it was a study that was done on language growth. And it, it talks about how different children have different language growth and And today I actually went into my kindergartner's class and helped the kids with their reading. And you notice that some kids are incredibly good readers. It just comes naturally. And other kids are not incredibly good readers. It does not come naturally. It's it's a lot slower. And each child, of course, has different cognitive processes. And some people have glitches they've got to iron through and other kids don't. It's just, it works really easy. But when they were talking about and they do this study with Spanish-speaking families, low in socioeconomic status. And so they are talking about how they can get 
their child's real-time language processing and vocabulary learning measured. So what they do is they go into these families' homes and they record for like 11 hours a day the parent-infant interactions. So when a child is being directly talked to by their parent, but then they also are recording everything where they are just how much the child is listening to what is going on. So they, they separate the study um, and they try to see if there's a connection between the amount of talk that is going on in the home and the amount of talk that the child is capable of doing. Now, this study, admittedly, <laughs> I did not give it as much of a deep dive is it probably needed. So in some parts of it, it just are, they definitely skimmed right past me because this is something I sort of came across and just sort of looked through. It was, it's really quite a fascinating study and they have some really good information on it, but I know I don't know all of the pieces to it. So I'm just going to give you the very broad outline. And if you'd like to go and look in more information, we can, we can both do that. It'll be probably really beneficial. But what they were talking about is how the language experience and language processing skills are separate factors that both contribute to lexile development. Now, the lexile development is your reading capability, your fluency capability. So if your child has a high lexile, it's kind of like your your reading ability per grade. So if you're in fourth grade and you have a higher lexile, say you might be reading at a sixth grade level, it's how they know what level you're reading at. So they're, they go into this with some ideas and some guesses, and they're going to see if these guesses come through. So they have 26 Spanish learning infants and they are all tested between the ages of 19 and 24 months. So it says here in the study that the parents said that all the infants were full term and like developing normally. And there were six kids who were excluded because their recordings didn't function properly. So things malfunction. So they are kind of on the lower end of earners. So between less than $25,000 to $75,000 a year. And 79% of the people who were doing the study of the 29 families had a yearly income before the underneath the, the poverty line. So they're trying to see you know, what impacts what, right? So they go in, they record the families for 11 hours. So some only did four hours, others did six hours. And they do this between one and six days, which means most likely that some one couple families did did it once and other families did it the full six days. So when they take out considerations for nap time, they do estimates of adult word counts and how they they had them throughout the day so what I'm trying to say is they say you have seven hours of talking that go on and they're counting how many hours I mean how many words are spoken in those hours so they have this software that goes through and analyzes it and it was some really interesting 
outcomes. So one of the things that they had been told is that they need to look at their child and, you know, talk to them. And what they found is that there was a gigantic range of the number of words the child was being exposed to, whether or not the child was being spoken directly to or whether or not the words were just happening by that child. So it ranged from 29,000 words to less than 2,000 words in a 10-hour day. And when it says here, when only talk addressed directly to the child was considered, the differences were even more extreme. In one family, caregivers spoke spoke more than 12,000 words to the infant, while in another, the infant heard only 670 words of child-directed speech over an entire day. So what it kind of correlates here is that there is a big differential between not every child, because some kids are, are naturally gifted in some areas, but language learning experience between um, exposure, right? So if you think of some of these neglected children that we've had in our life, if you have a child who's been neglected, who was not exposed to those things, you know, you can see how maybe some pathways were not properly created. But the reason I actually wanted to bring up this study is because it talks about how the exposure to words helped the processing. So when your child can't process and you're talking to them and you're trying to work it through and you're seeing that they are not processing, I would encourage you based on what I have gleaned from this study, which admittedly is not what they're trying to tell me, but what makes logical connective sense to me is that if the more you expose your children to these things, the more they are going to pick up on these things. And I remember telling somebody, somebody came up to my husband and was talking about how their child had just adopted someone who was really difficult. And they were like, what advice do you have? And And what I said was, whatever takes a normal kid 30 days to learn or three months to learn is going to take 30 months for a difficult child to learn. But if you you're going to hit the end of that 30 months anyway, there will come a time where where you've passed that 30 month point and you can either be back where you started Or you can have spent a whole heck of a lot of sweat equity putting so much time and talk into this child and give them a step higher in 30 months. A lot of this, I don't know if it has to do with drug exposure or alcohol exposure in utero because some things are just developmentally hard. But when I look at this study, I think, but it's possible It's possible and it's more likely if we put the more time in to verbally talk to our child so that they can verbally create those, I mean, create those verbal pathways and they can end up in a better position in the long run. And it was really interesting because in the study, there's a point where they talk about how when you speak directly to the child that is what made the biggest difference in the vocabulary that was learned. So you can have a lot of, you know, the child can process when there's a lot of things going on around them, but the direct speech made the biggest impact on learning 
the vocabulary and on understanding what each word meant. So what I take from this is that when you have more conversations with your child, your child will eventually develop an understanding of those conversations, which I think is really beneficial for people who have children who have a hard time understanding those conversations. I would say to you frustrated parents, don't give up. Keep trying. Keep putting in that time because the more exposure your child is going to get to those types of conversations, then the more they're going to slowly add to their vocabulary, their understanding, as well as their processing. So I know there are some of you burnt out parents out there who are shutting down and who are like closing off and who who can't handle it anymore. And I encourage you, even though I know it's so hard, I encourage you that if you can find that strength to put forth the effort to have those conversations with that child so that not only can that child make better decisions for themselves, but also so that you can be able to function better because that child is making better decisions for themselves. So I know it's hard. And I know for some of you who have the really, really, really difficult cases that this is bigger than you know what to do. But I hope that even if you add just a few words every day, and even if you talk about the same types of things every day, just to remind yourself you're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing by providing this child who might have developmental lacks in areas. You're providing them with an opportunity to learn because it is going to be a hard world for that kid if that kid cannot process. They will never make those good decisions that you want if you can't get the bottom part of the structure put in. If you can't have the base of the pyramid put in, then you can't build up to the top for logical thinking. And one of the absolute critical parts is understanding. So I encourage you, as much strength as you can muster, as much energy as you can put forth to really focus on those repetitive discussions as much as they drive you crazy as much as they drive them crazy and when they're frustrated and they're like I know you say well tell me what I'm saying then tell me what you know if you know what I'm saying then I want you to repeat it back to me so that they can have those experiences where they are showing you their progress in their processing I appreciate that you join me. And I really hope that we can all together find good answers for our children. Because being the parent of a hard kid is hard. But we're going to make it. Thanks so much for joining. Have a great day.